0: Opening Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> As you are still settling, I decided to break my lessons up because I don't want to have um, sheets carry over. <clears throat> so you will see lesson 2A. <clears throat> I know this is week 3, but we spent two weeks on lesson 1. So, um, this is technically lesson two. And uh, I've broken up the theology of psychology uh, over three weeks. And uh, so, this, this, I'll explain that in a moment's time. Uh, The goal is to finish a section of sheets so that we don't have carryover because next week we may get some new visitors and it's difficult for them to get all the answers for that week. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully I'm able to get through all of the notes today. <clears> 2 <throat> Peter chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence or goodness, which he has granted to us by his precious and very great promises, so that <clears throat> through them you may, th- you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, okay. make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and with bro- uh, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just still there. We will return to this passage in a few weeks' time, and I'm going to read it again, (coughs) not next week, but the following week. (coughs) Sorry, I got a bit of a cough, so um, I may hurt your ears at some time. In our study this morning, we will cover the theology of secular counseling, (coughs) We're going to evaluate the theology of what counselors in the secular world do on three different levels. I'm going to approach, approach the psychoanalytical aspect, the behavioral aspect, and then we will look at the humanistic method. So this covers at least three or four guys, which is Freud, that's our first person that we'll cover, Uh, Included with Freud is Carl Jung, but I have to separate him from um, Freud because Jung adds a nuance to Freudian methodology, so I'm going to deal with him, but that's still under the psychoanalytical approach. Then we have Carl Rogers and then B.F. Skinner. So those are the four guys we will look at over the next few weeks. And uh, the reason we are covering the theology of psychology <clears throat> is because, and I hope you see this, we have been influenced by psychology to a great degree in a number of different ways. The language we use, the way we think, the way we speak to people, the way that we approach our problems has been psychologized. And so we have to undo some of that thinking. Um, I don't cover every aspect of the history of, uh, uh, of um, psychology uh, I do recommend reading Richard Gans and then Joel James. I put it on the website. In his the reader that we are using for this class, he does cover a little bit more in, in some aspects, uh, breaking it down in terms of um, uh, secular psychology, theology of man, sin, God. So that is very helpful. Take some time to read through that. I think that is the reading for this week and next week. Um, so please uh, do uh, cover that. We don't have class next week because we have a visiting speaker. Uh, so you have some time to take, some time to read uh, and catch up if you haven't been reading. So the plan is to look at some of the aspects of the major contributors uh, to the theology of psychology. And I say theology because no counseling is a theological. That is uh, the alpha primitive there negates theology. It's not without theology. <clears throat> no, no counseling is approached without a measure of understanding who God is, what sin is, who man is. <clears throat> Everybody, though it may not be biblical, has a theology, has a view of God and approaches counseling with that view. You could call it a worldview. You could call it a presupposition. You could call it a, an approach. All of that substantiates or formulates the approach affects how we deal with problems. So no secular approach, and you, hopefully you will see this, is a theological. Um, let me just add this in. I don't give you all my notes, and I do want you to write down the answers. I know it's like, it feels like being in school, <laughs> but I have a lot of sub-notes, and if I say A B, and it's not in your notes, it's because I have it in my notes because I subnote everything. Um, you're welcome to write this down. The their views are not as important as the influence. And and if you think about the view, consider how you or maybe your family or the culture that you're in um, approaches a specific view. So let's consider the psychoanalytic approach to. Uh, Counseling, Freud, A, the Freudian method, uh, was actually uh, popularized later by Rogers because of what he um, he, uh, has done to it or did to it, but uh, Freud is considered to be the father of the psychoanalytical approach in psychology. Freud believed that man is a controlled beast. Yep. No, we are not um, he's controlled not only by external influences but also by his sexual impulses he's by nature an animal and so he uh, it's shocking to read some of the things that he writes about a baby it's shocking to hear the way that he thinks about humanity and uh, if you if you want to i don't encourage it um, uh, yeah go in and read some of. Uh, his primitive thoughts. And I call it primitive because he puts us in the cave. Uh, That's what we are. We are cavemen, brutes, who are controlled by impulses. This primitive part of man is controlled by experiences, urges, and other people. And I'll get to that in a moment's time. This led to the psychoanalytical desire to discover one's original behavior, the origin of why one does what you do. He believed that people are not ultimately responsible for what they do because they don't have control over the subconscious. It's affected by things external to himself. So number one, this is Freudian, not biblical. We are born with a clean slate, and any problems we may have are due to the fact that we have been wrongly socialized by someone or something else. That is, parents, teachers, environment, church. Fathers are to blame for a lot of this. If you read um, some of... You know where this idea of um, toxic masculinity comes from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard that term, but men are apparently toxic. I, I'm sure that they are... Feminine toxi- toxicity as well. <clears throat> oh, yeah, no, that's trouble. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, if you are new, Gunther, welcome. We do a formal welcome later on. Welcome back, Natasha. It's your first week back, right? Congratulations. This is not a preaching service, so I do break from the normal. From this idea of how we are born... We get the analysis of the person um, and the presupposition that a person's current condition, his current uh, actions, are not his own. It's just because he's been incorrectly socialized. He's been influenced incorrectly. So his mom taught him wrong. She didn't help him to understand how he should live in the greater community. So someone else then is to blame for how he lives and the way that he acts. Again, not biblical. This is psychoanalytical approach. This has resulted in what we call victim mentality. It is not my fault. My mom locked me in a cupboard. I'm not saying that's what happened to me. My brother did that. But <laughs> or my mom. It's always someone else's fault. He suggests that the reason a person is a glutton, guess this, get this, is because he wasn't breastfed as an infant. And so he, he has this innate unknown, unknown craving to have food because his mom kept the food from him when he was a babe. I think then our kids would be gluttons, ex Is that a word? No. This removes personal responsibility. As to the cause of our latent guilt, number two, he says, guilt is an artificial and harmful activity that is the result of parental and societal traditions. (laughs) So, by the way, if you haven't picked it up, you should be bringing a pen. And maybe somebody should buy pens or bring an extra pen for those of you who don't bring pens to church. Uh, what he's saying is that there is a standard that has been set by family and society which is incorrect and yet there's a conflict in how he wants us to be properly socialized. So is society supposed to socialize us or not? Uh, And he says, well, the reason we have this idea of guilt is because your parents taught you that it is wrong to take a jar out of the cookie jar. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to eat, just take it. But when you take it because there's been a command, now you feel guilty. He says, that is wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty. It is yours. Uh, I wonder why people steal so much. To yield to guilt is to allow external influences to determine who you really are. So it's okay then to be a thief because if you want to just take it, It is society or parents who are at fault for making you feel guilty if you've taken something. So guilt then is a social construct. This also opens up the idea that a man is always, or a person I should say, is always a victim. The only reason he feels guilty is because you or someone else has played rules upon him. That rule shouldn't exist. Imagine how Your family life would be, if you didn't have rules for your kids, the prisoners would rule the jail. If you get that analogy, right? (laughs) If you remove these external traditions or rules, then you become guilt free. What is wrong with this idea? Anyone? What do you think is wrong with that approach? Or that philosophy. It's hard to know where to start, but um, the one thing is it's, it takes away all personal accountability. Mm. And if you think about it, this is Ezekiel 18, which says the soul that sins will we'll surely die. die, yes, amen. You mustn't say our teeth are on edge because our fathers ate yeah. sour effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Well, well said. Well said. Um it takes away that personal responsibility. Anyone else? Um counselors, Hilton. Well first and foremost <laughs> the question is um the creator. There's a creator who has created us and people mm-hmm. we are not you know, in the mm-hmm. first instance. Yeah. Well we'll get to that. One, two, what about the guilt issue, <clears throat> Cameron? So that um conscience. Yes. Why is it there? Why sorry? Why is it there? very simple. Why is it there? Yes, it's God given. You feel guilt because God has placed a conscience in you that knows right or wrong. Whether whether your mom tells you it's wrong to steal kids. I don't know if you saw a video. Um, I was still in the States and I think it was Shanton who sent it to me. <laughs> he sent me weird stuff. So uh, there, there was this... Mom is here in South Africa who's teaching a child to steal people's bags at Spur. So the child goes underneath the, the, the benches, the things that you sit on, and he grabs the bag of the lady who puts a bag between her legs underneath her, and then he grabs the bag or goes into the bag and steals the yeah, So don't put your bag on the floor anymore. <laughs> so he grows up with a conscience that it is not wrong to take from other people. So imagine where he is today, and this was a few years ago, um, yeah, anything else on guilt and the psyche of man? No, let's move on. So what about psychoanalytical deliverance? Number three, the primary method of helping a person is to dig deep into the person's psyche. I just want to put a caveat in here. They don't believe in the soul. Man does not have a soul. They, they do believe that man has a spirit, um, and it's part of the mind, as, as uh, some of them would believe. But not a soul, because a soul is a religious creation. It is, that is what God gives, but they don't necessarily believe in God. So um, deep, dig into the person's psyche and past to try to analyze why they are the way that they are. So balance is often achieved by being able uh, uh, to blame others or to offer an excuse for someone's behavior. So if you go lay on the couch and uh, the psychoanalyst will tell you, well, tell me, uh, is there a time in your life when you felt repressed? You know, maybe your your dad uh, didn't want you to do something. Let's explore that. So go back in time and and." Place yourself in that situation. I'm psychoanalyzing you now. And think about how you felt. And then they will talk about that feeling and develop that. And he would say, well, that's the reason you are the way you are. It's not because you made a choice today to beat up somebody else. No, 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 no. That's not the reason. It wasn't you. You know what? It's because your dad didn't want you to have a bike as a child. I think all of us would be murderous by, <laughs> because of that. So the psychoanalyst can uncover the reason because he's the professional. He has the capacity to look into your past and help you in the present. He alone has this special personal knowledge and the key to unlock you your Problem and to help you to live a better life. This is nothing more than professional medical Gnosticism. They assert that no mere pastor who only deals with the spiritual soul can uncover the deep seated problems that is hidden. It is it is too deep for a pastor to see. It is hidden in the psyche of man. The spirit is separate from the soul. It is hidden in that part of man. This is them, not us. It's hidden in that part of man that the pastor cannot get to. Is there any verse that you could apply to the situation? I'm looking at you. (laughs) Anyone? Hebrews. Chapter 4. And verse twelve, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, even the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discern uh, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see how the two things are connected: soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions. They're all connected. Um, Thoughts and intentions are literally one. Joints and matter are connected. Soul and spirit in his mind is one thing. So they say, well, we, we don't have the capacity or the ability to dig into someone's psyche to really help him. Only the professional psychoanalyst can help with that. Number four. They suggest that when we unpeel the past, we help the counselee in the present. Just check that I may have written it wrong. Yeah, it should be we help, not to help. When we unpeel the past, we help the counselee in the present. What do you think is the problem with this? I'm going to deal a little bit further with dealing with the past from a rubric perspective later on, but what do you think is the problem with this idea? Yes? It's one part. Yeah, it takes away personal responsibility. What else? I I can't hear whoever spoke. No, not you. (laughs) Nothing? I think Scripture keeps speaking about, and I don't have a single verse to hang it on. Thank you. Scripture always speaks about your present condition before God rather than the past. So they're stuck in the past, Mm. they're not considering um, the present as God sees the present. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, is it wrong to go into the past and try to deal with past issues to help somebody in the present? I'm going to get to that uh, later on. I'm going to say for now that trying to deal with the past is not helpful in the present. There is a way that believers can be helped, but that is not the way that we help. Uh, to this, to do this, the counselor again, unbiblical counselor, must examine the unconscious mind known as the subconscious. The unconscious mind is governed by primitive, primal, uncontrollable urges. Freud says that man is an instinct-dominated beast and he must be released from the prison of guilt and rules. Wow! Imagine the mayhem we will unleash when we teach our kids, you are but a beast that has been caged. You need to be unleashed. I don't think my kids need to hear that kind of nonsense. They don't need to be unleashed. They are already unhinged, as it is. So the unconscious mind apparently is the affected part of mankind, both positively and negatively, by experience and others. So this subconscious subconscious mind actually controls you. So the reason why you do things is because deep in your inner recesses of your mind, something is lying there that causes you to say things and do things. Now, there are people who really don't have control over their tongue, and uh, I think it's called Asperger's. Um, it, that's the one, right? Where they just blurt out things? It's a direct, sorry. And they don't really have control over the way that they say things. They may mean to say something else, and then some something else comes out. Uh, that is not what is in view yet. Uh, that is a m- medical problem, a problem. Brain problem, not a, a mental problem. Um, so, number five, I'm going to get through this so we can get to the biblical aspects. Psychoanalysis and free association are ways to unpeel the unconscious, the unconscious mind or the subconscious. This is how they do it lie on the couch and say whatever comes to mind. But it, the first thing that pops in your mind. So, through this, the unconscious mind is made manifest. This is where you get the idea of um, Freudian slips. Ever heard that term? Mm -hmm. There are things that lay dormant in the mind and it needs to come out. And the psychoanalyst is your deliverer. The other mind is the real you. The goal is to uncover this unconscious motive and motivations. Hang on. If your unconscious mind is ruled and dominated by passions, do you really want to unleash that beast? This allows the... Counselor to interpret the words and decode the origin of the patient's attitude, behaviors, actions, and then provide true deliverance for the patient. You become the real you. That's the goal. So who you are then, right now, is not really you. You need to be delivered, released from your Do you see how the language is very close to biblical language? What's the problem with these? Number six. You've mentioned it before. No accountability. No responsibility. And no confrontation. I'm going to get to what biblical counseling really is. That's in a few weeks' time. This results in the so-called free will agents that are not limited by anyone or anything, and therefore does not need to feel guilty of anything. Yeah, we have a problem. If that's the kind of people that we are raising, if that's the kind of help that we are um, offering people, we are merely making people slaves to sensuality, making people slaves to their lusts. B, let's give a response to the Freudian approach. Any comments or questions? No? It's like a religion, pretty much, as a definition of. Yeah. Well, it's very close to it. How to provide you salvation for it? Psychoanalytical deliverance, yeah. It just doesn't have truth as a core tenet, so it doesn't claim it's one. Yeah. Well, well said. It's, it's, it's very close to, because the language that they use is very close to um, biblical language, yet Freud wanted to divorce himself from, from the Bible in a variety of different ways. B, let's have a response to the Freudian approach. Number one, every person is accountable for their own actions and words. Matthew chapter 12, verse is, verse 7. Was it 7? Yeah. No, that is not it. Um, Let me see if I can find it. Every word and every deed um, you will have to give an account of. I thought it was 12. Uh, If it comes to mind, I will give it to you. But turn over to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. will be judged according to I'm talking about every unbeliever according to what they personally did. Every person is accountable before God for their own actions. Number two uh, Matthew 12 36 36. (coughs) Read it Uh, Yeah That's the one (coughs) Yeah, it's, it's 37. But both 36 and 37, um, you will give an account for every careless word. Uh, and by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Um, the, the word they're justified is not salvific justification, but um, being. Um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Vindicated. Vindicated. James, yes, there you go. Vindicated. So um, that's true. So that that's makes every individual person accountable for their own words. You can't blame your mom, can't blame your dad, can't blame society, can't blame your teacher. You are accountable for your words. Kids, by nature, by nature, blame others. It's, uh, it wasn't me, Dad. It was his fault. He did it first, so your, just, your justification is that he did this, and so you do that to him. I'm not saying that that's what my boys do. I'm just saying that's what kids do generally. Um, number two, we do not have uncontrollable passions as uh, believers. We are expected and commanded to have victory over sin. Romans chapter 6, shall, uh, um, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. In chapter 7 he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ in response to the question, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Number three, and I will probably have a response to this. There is no biblical basis for the subconscious. How do you explain or defend the subconscious? Now those of you who, uh, who did biblical counseling or are doing biblical counseling with Berean, you should be able to answer this. How do you respond or defend uh, the subconscious? Does it exist? If it does, how do you defend it? If it doesn't, how do you defend that position? I'm going to start with the two of you, so think. Hilton, go for it. Thank you. Okay, pass to uh, Cameron. (laughs) Cameron. Okay, so, um, I don't know if, so I don't know if you covered this, but does anybody know what trichotomy and dichotomy means? What's the difference between the two? What is trichotomy? Three what? Three divisions. Man is spirit, soul, and body. Dichotomy, man is two, spirit and soul. Uh, or, uh, sorry, soul, spirit, and body. So spirit, soul, body. Um, yeah, so two divisions versus three divisions. So that's your answer to the question with regards to the subconscious. Uh, so, Christian psychologists, Christian counselors would say, um, no, but man is three. For instance, 1 Thessalonians, uh, yeah, let's use that one first. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23. <clears throat> I think it's just one. Yeah, it's this one. So Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking about the rapture of the Lord. Um, Is that trichotomy or dichotomy? Tri. Okay, so man then has three components. Go to Mark chapter 12. Verse 30. Yeah. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How many parts do you see there? Four. So, well, hang on. How many, how many parts are there to man? Three or four? Because you're going to go over that argument that he Paul uses the the, the, the spirit, soul, and body as three parts, then how does Jesus use this to define man? It's not a tripartite discussion or a quadpartite discussion. Jesus is describing the entirety of man with your soul, spirit, mind, all relate to one thing, one thing, and strength. That's the entire person. Then Paul when he says spirit, soul, and body relates to your whole person, not your components that make up your person, because spirit and soul is essentially what? One. In fact, spirit, soul can be equal to mind, or mind can be equal to heart. That's how the Bible uses both um, spirit, soul, and mind. It is used synonymously. So when you see those three divisions, God is not breaking us up into three people or three po- three parts. This is not an argument for the Trinity people. I've heard that. No. Um, because one part of us is susceptible to corruption. Right? It demonstrates corruption. The other part of us is depraved from birth. How do you relate that to the Trinity? You can't break... Uh, man up into three parts and say, well, there you go, that's, that's how God is. Spirit-soul, from the biblical perspective, is actually one to give you a complete idea. It's, it's um, uh, what Paul and Jesus is saying. Is that it's the whole person. Where does subconscious fit in then? Is it spirit or is it soul? If it does exist, where does it fit in? Because clearly it doesn't fit with the body. It doesn't fit with the strength. So where would you put it? Soul or spirit? Well, technically, Christian psychologists say soul relates to God, spirit relates to who we are. So then it has to be in the spirit of man. It's got to be in the mind of man. As if you can't separate. Remember Hebrews chapter 4? Piercing asunder. Spirit and soul. uh, Thought and intentions. They are one. So God can split between your Real intention and your um, uh, 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 resonant thought? Why you do what you do and why uh, you've thought the way that you've thought? God is the only one that can do that. We can't. So nobody can dig into the subconscious. There is no mind within your mind. Now, do we have... (coughs) The capacity to move things into our distant past and not think about it again? Yes, we do. Do we have the capacity to have um, uh, memories that are suppressed? Yes, you can do that. Uh, And I'll explain what that does and why that is in a moment's time. Do we have the capacity to have um, memories that are influencing us today? They are things like that in the mind of a person. But there is no such thing as a subconscious. There is nothing below the mind. Yeah, go. So, sorry Proverbs 20 27 Can I ask that that um, Blind be closely Because that white car Is blinding me Thank you That's better thanks um, Let's move on Number four The past only tells us What happened But the present Tells us who we are And again I will get to this In a moment the past cannot be changed, but the present must, uh, but in the present, we must make a choice to who we want to be and how we want to respond. And the past may be painful, but you're not living in the past, or in the pain of the past, you can move beyond the past because you are living in the present. And uh, again, I will get to that, because uh, I know that, that is a difficult thing to get over. This doesn't mean that we uh, ignore the reality that people have suffered uh, trauma. Um, some of you may have been kidnapped uh, or they may have been attempted uh, kidnapped, uh, murder or attempted murders. You may have had suicidal thoughts. there may have been abuse in your past. Those are things that have happened. Um, and a psychoanalyst will say, well, because of that, you have suppressed those memories because it was so damaging to you. And uh, we need to uncover that. Um, and I am going to contend that that is actually dangerous. A Christian's identity is uh, reformed in Christ, and it is not shaped by what has happened in the past. People can mentally push aside horrendous experiences, but this is not a bad thing. God has made us with an innate capacity to move painful experiences or events back further in our mind and to keep it there. That's a protective measure that God gives to us. That's a good thing. Without this protective measure and, and constantly going back to the past, what do you do? What are you going to do? You're constantly going to relive that moment, live in the past, and relive the pain of the past. Yet God wants us to leave. He doesn't continually remind us of our sinful life, right? Right? As believers, because that is past. You are a new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Was it 17? I believe it's 17. Also, God does not hold us accountable for what has happened in the past. If He's forgiven us, He has forgiven us. He no holds no longer holds our past against us. So why then do we want to conjure up something that God has forgiven? Sinful responses like suicide, yes, it is a sinful thought, it's a sinful response. Bitterness, anger, neglect of duties, that is because (coughs) of something has happened and you don't want to live in the present anymore. You're constantly bringing up what has happened in the past. That is sinful. Unbiblical attitudes are not results of past events, but are indicative of a present condition. You're not able to handle your life and so you're blaming for some, you're blaming something in the past for what is happening today while you may have uh, built up a habit of dealing with trauma um, through bitterness and bursts of anger and attacks on people uh, those are all sinful that can be true because of what has happened you, you generally may have built up an A pattern of how to respond. But when you become a believer, that pattern should end. There is a new mind, a new heart, and a new response that is required by God. Recalling the past does not deal with the present, but only hampers you to live in the present. It is not helpful to go up and conjure up events in the past. Healing of the past does not heal the problems of the present. They may or may not be related. Um, We need to deal with what is. In other words, we deal with your actions today, who you are right now, not what has happened in the past. Jesus forgives us from our past and gives us new life, and we do not need to recover what has been laid at the foot of the cross. Doesn't matter the events that have taken place. When you come to Christ, you don't only lay your sin, your sin, you lay every burden at the foot of the cross. You, you do not remember the um, pilgrim's pro, progress, pro, <laughs> progress, going um, say process, the, 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 the baggage that he wears. It's not just the sin, it's everything that, that piles up on him. It is at the foot of Jesus that that gets laid. You live a new life. That baggage should not be carried along with you. But what psychoanalysts do is they take the baggage of the past, bring it into the present. And what are they doing? They're laying on the baggage of the past and constantly weigh you down in the present. That is not helpful. So let me answer the question C. How do we overcome... Hurtful, painful memories or events in the past. Number one, embrace them as part of your life. It has happened. As painful and as hurtful and as difficult as that may be, it has happened. You cannot change it. So you have to look back on it as something that God has in his divine uh, plan has allowed to take place in your life. So embrace it as part of your, your life. It makes you who you are today in Christ. It does not define you though. You are not defined by past events. No matter how bad it is, you are defined by your identity in Christ. You are what you are because of what Christ has done in and for you. Number two, ask the Lord to help you move past it. Because you can move past it. Number three, trust in the sovereignty of God. And this is hard. Um, Sometimes difficult events becomes a crutch in people's lives. Well, you don't know what I have experienced. You don't know my history. And so you have no right to tell me how to live. No. There is no such thing in scripture. When God speaks, he speaks to you in the present and demands a righteous, godly response from you right now, regardless of your past. When he commands you to live a holy life, to live a life that would honor him, it is despite the events that has taken place in your past. So trust God that he knows what he is doing. And allowing the events of your past to, to, to be part of your life, it is, um, it's part of the way that God is able to use you in a specific way that he cannot use anyone else. The events of your past has given you an insight to a hurt that you alone um, have. Someone else may have experienced something similar, but your situation is unique to you. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3? That God comforts, comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may, what? Comfort others with the comfort that he comforts us with. So God comes to you in your situation and brings to you his comfort so that you could comfort others. Your event, your life, if you're a believer, your life that he has allowed you to experience as a person prior to Christ is part of his plan in that you are the one, the way that you are with the life that you have so that you can be an example and a testimony to others who are going through difficult things in your life. God can use your past. Is there any situation in Scripture that testifies to that? Do you have a question or comment? Okay, go ahead. Repentance, you look, and then you look back at the past, and you know that the repentance is necessary. Yeah. But the the amount of just makes you feel like I've dealt with it. Yeah. So just getting back to your comment, dealt with the past. Who deals with a past? God does in Christ. Yeah. No psychoanalyst or you need to deal with God has forgiven, and that He has nailed. Even the harsh events of your life has been nailed to the cross because that guy sinned against you it's been nailed to the cross. It could be a woman as well. Um, Is there any passage in scripture that speaks about how God sovereignly uses horrendous events in the life of an individual to bring about good? Come on. It's it's pretty obvious. Anyone? Joseph. Right? At the end of of Genesis, what what does Joseph say? What you meant for? Let's just think about this. His brothers threw him in a well and then sold him into slavery. Imagine your family does that to you. He's gone through horrendous pain of separation from his mom and dad and his brothers. He did love them. He was a bit prideful, but he loved them. And then not only that, in doing good in Egypt, he gets thrown into prison again. So he relives he both events. He does not look back at that event in bitterness, in anger, or, or um, in shame. You know, he says what, what you intended for evil, God intended for what? Good. Two events, two outcomes. Evil from a humanistic perspective, good from a godly perspective, from God's vantage point. I can use this. To, if Joseph is not thrown in the well, there is no salvation in the terms of calamity, no deliverance for Israel in Egypt. Um, so God knows what he's doing, which leads us to point four. Understand that the way and the will of God is higher in purpose than we can understand or comprehend. We don't fully understand why these things happen. I can't tell you. You may come to me and say, this is what I've experienced. I will tell you, like I've said before, I can't tell you why God has um, allowed that to happen in your life. It's hard to hear. It is hard to have gone through. But I don't have the answers to that. But you need to learn to entrust that that event and the entirety of your life, not just that event. Don't get stuck on that event. Your life is is, is more than just that event. If you only look to that event, that defines you. God has given you more than that. So number five, replace the sinful actions, thoughts, and responses with godly ones. We can respond sinfully to these events in our lives. I do need to end. We have five minutes left. um, But I just want to recommend those two books. The Christian's Guide to Psychological Terms by Marshall It it um, gives you the, the psychological views and then the biblical response to that, and then the Christian Counselors Manual by Jay Adams. I love that book. I've read it through twice now. It's it's, it's about that thick. It's not not too heavy, but um, it will be helpful to you. Any questions? We have a couple of minutes. Comment. Comment. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. In fact, um, they will tell you to forgive yourself because you need to deal with your problem. You are the solution. It's, 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 you will see this in, in Jung as well. You are the one that can overcome your past. Um, no. If you're going to constantly have, go back to that event, it will weigh you down. Lay it at the foot of the cross. That's deliverance. That's where Christ is able to heal your hurt. Um, But you're right, getting back to your point. It is dangerous. That's why Christian psychologists are very dangerous. They do not offer the biblical help that you need. Um, But anyway, I do need to end. Thank you for your time. We have a couple of minutes. What did I say? I said Christian. No, I meant Christian counselors. Christian counselors are different from biblical counselors. Uh, in that Christian counselors lean on psychology, whereas biblical counselors uh, don't. Thank you. We'll take a short break and then resume with the preaching service.